Redemption has a name, and it's Jesus. I want you to keep that in your minds throughout, hopefully, the message today. You know the word legacy? Um, if you uh, have a mom who is part of a sorority and you join that sorority, you are called a legacy. If your grandfather was a doctor, your father was a doctor, and you are a doctor, you are considered to be from a legacy of doctors. We talked about last Sunday about how godly mothers leave a legacy for their children. But in the third chapter of Zechariah, we encounter a legacy that does not bode well for whoever chooses to remain in that legacy. This morning, I invite you to turn to Zechariah chapter 3. We are continuing in our series, 66 books, 66 messages. And I'm going to read all 10 verses from Zechariah chapter 3. This is God's word to his people. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was, was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. And that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. So ends the reading of God's word. The legacy that we discover in this text from Zechariah is first one of failure. Perhaps some of you have seen the movie Pay It Forward. In the film, a, a teacher challenges the students of his seventh grade class to come up with an idea to change the world for the better and to put that idea into action. One of those 11-year-olds, um, his name is Trevor McKinney, and he designs a plan where instead of people paying others back for a good deed, they would pay that good deed forward to three other people. When asked why he came up with such a plan later in the film, he said it was because the world stunk, I used a different word, and that he wanted to do something to make it a better place. 
only at the very end of that film, close your ears if you don't want to know, Trevor was stabbed to death by another boy. The problem that stands in the way of every human system, as noble as some systems might appear to be, is our sin nature. Sin corrupts all our programs. Sin confounds all our plans. And that was the case for Israel before Babylon had taken it into captivity, and it remained the case for Israel after Persia allowed them to go home to rebuild their temple. And that's where we are at this point in history. And here Joshua, the high priest, represents the Hebrew people before God. Here in Zechariah's fourth prophetic vision, Joshua stands on trial before the throne of heaven. I want you to picture the courtroom that Zechariah describes here. The prosecuting attorney is Satan. Scripture says many things of the devil. He is a deceiver. He is a tempter. He is a persecutor. He is a murderer and a liar. He is a destroyer. But perhaps the most insidious role that Satan plays is the way that he continually pronounces our legacy of failure. Revelation 12 verse 10 tells us that the old dragon brings accusations against us day and night. In fact, Satan's very name means accuser. Accusation is a potent weapon. When others falsely accuse us, think about what that does in our lives. It deters us and discourages us from doing the work that the Lord intends for us to do. It cripples us. It makes us feel self-conscious, maybe even condemned. But sometimes accusations are true. In fact, even though Jesus says in John 8:44 that Satan was a murderer and a liar from the beginning, the devil knows full well that Joshua was guilty of many sins. And the same is also true of us. Charles Spurgeon once taught, truly dear friend, if Satan wants to accuse us, any page of our history, any hour of any day will furnish him material for his charges. Yesterday I was impatient. The day before I was proud. Another day I was slothful. And on another day I was unjustifiably angry. Oh, what a den of unclean birds the human heart is. So it is that the prosecutor brings forth charges against Joshua. He is unfit to stand before the Lord. And yes, he was the rightful high priest from the house of Aaron. And yes, he had returned to Jerusalem to help rebuild the temple. And yes, Ezra chapter 3 tells us that he had reset the altar in order to renew the system of burnt offerings. And yet I would suggest that Joshua's role as high priest only made his legacy of failure all the more acute. 
I tell people that the hardest thing about preaching week in and week out is realizing how far short I fall of every single message that I preach. How much more acute is my legacy of failure? Studying God's word week in and week out and knowing that I am such a sinner. That I do not live by what I preach. Scripture indicates that Joshua is filthy. And the word used for filthy in verse 3 is the strongest expression in the Hebrew language for that of a vile and loathsome character. Vile and loathsome. His garments represent the pollution and contamination of our sin. In the midst of Satan's allegations, what did Joshua have to say for himself? What would I have to say for myself? What would you have to say for yourself? That we tried to live a good life? That we went to church consistently? That we did not do some of the evil things that other people did? That we were faithful to our family? Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says that our best works are but filthy rags. We cannot cover up our sin by the rich apparel of any good works that we might do. We cannot cover up our sin by some religious ceremony or by saying, I checked off going to church this week. Romans chapter 3 says that there is no one righteous, not even one. That there is no one who does good, not even one. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we are part of a legacy of failure. Or we should understand that nothing we bring would ever be enough before the courtroom in God's presence. Only something wonderful happens in Zechariah's vision. The angel of the Lord commands the other angels to take off Joshua's filthy clothes. This leaves him naked. That is how each one of us come into the world. That is how we all must appear before God. He looks at us. He sees us as we really are. We can dress up nice if we want. But he sees here and he knows every thought we've ever had. <laughs> Don't dare walk into the heavenly courtroom on your own. You've got no defense to offer. But hallelujah. There is yet one in this vision who can serve as our defense attorney. The defense attorney is the angel of the Lord, which verses 2 and 4 make very clear is the pre-incarnate Christ. 
The promised Messiah would come into the world to replace our sin-stained garments with his righteousness. Pay attention once more to the promise of Zechariah 3, verse 4. See, I have taken away your sin. I will put fine garments on you. In Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, and when he returns home in repentance, he discovers that his father is already waiting for him. And what is essentially the first thing that his father does? He calls for the best robe to be put on him. And then Zechariah 3.5 says, put a clean turban on his head. Exodus chapter 28 tells us about the headpiece that the high priest wore. It had a plate affixed to it with the words that said, holy to the Lord. In verse 38 of that chapter, God said, it shall regularly be on his forehead so that he may be accepted before the Lord. Without this holy headpiece, the Old Testament high priest could not have entered into the Holy of Holies. And no one can stand before the presence of God apart from being declared holy to the Lord. This shows that our sins need more than just removing. We need to have imputed to us a righteousness not of our own. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, and I encourage you to memorize this and hide it in your heart. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he was made sin who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Plus, James 1, verse 12 says that those who love the Lord are promised the crown of life. Because of Jesus Christ, we shall be declared holy to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Christ's atoning work on our behalf is the only way to reshape our legacy of failure into a legacy of redemption. The Lord says in Zechariah 3, verses 8 and 9, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. The servant, the branch, the stone. They are all Old Testament descriptions of Jesus. In Isaiah chapters 42 through 53, he speaks of the Messiah as the suffering servant. Isaiah chapter 11 speaks of the Messiah as the branch who would come from the house of David. And yet Psalm 118, 22 speaks of the Messiah as the stone that the Jewish leaders rejected. Christ came into the world by humble and obscure origins to do the will of the Father. And so the suffering servant would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. But the stump that humanity cut off is the branch that the Father raised from the grave to reign forever.
Jesus is, according to Ephesians 2, verse 20, the chief cornerstone of the church, the servant, the branch, the stone. Jesus Christ is the only one able to change this fallen world by putting God's redemptive program and plan in place. It is a program and a plan that Ephesians 1 says was set in place before the foundation of the world. Zechariah 3.9 says, there are seven eyes on that one stone and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Based upon Revelation 5 verse 6, I think the seven eyes on that one stone of verse 9 reflect Christ's awareness of what it would cost him to be set up in that courtroom as our defense attorney. Just as seven represents completeness, Jesus, as fully God, could survey all things. And what did Christ survey? The cross. What did Christ accomplish at Golgotha? The removal of our failed legacies in a single day. Jesus bore our sin and proclaimed in John 19, verse 30, it is finished. And so Horatio Spafford could sing, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. No doubt, Satan still wants to accuse you. No doubt, he still wants to accuse me. But hear me when I say, if Christ is your defense attorney, Satan has absolutely nothing left to say against you. Nothing. Paul says in Colossians 2, 13 and 14, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. A black spot on the wall of a castle in Germany bears eloquent testimony to this truth. Wartburg Castle, that is where Martin Luther was taken for refuge after his heroic stand at the Council of Worms. And it's, it's said that Luther was immensely productive in his writing during this period, but he also felt himself, as was the case of numerous Occasions suffering at the hands of the wicked one. And so he wrote to his good friend, Philip Melanth, I can't pronounce his name, on May 24th, 1521. And he wrote about a spiritual depression that he had been walking through. And on one occasion, he dreamed that Satan appeared with a long scroll on which his many sins were written with care. 
each of them read out one by one. All the while, Satan mocked his pathetic desire to serve God, assuring Luther that he was bound for hell. It is said that Luther flailed and thrashed in spiritual agony until at last he jumped up and cried out, It is true, Satan. It is true. And there are many more sins that I have committed that God alone knows. But write this devil at the bottom of your list. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses from all sin. And then grasping an inkwell from his table, Luther threw it at what he perceived to be the devil who thus fled, leaving the black spot on the wall that still bears witness to Luther's deliverance. Today, like Luther, the wicked one might be trying to sow doubt and despair into your soul. Know this. Satan will never stop accusing you. He will do so continually. He will cry out, you are a great sinner. But through faith in Christ and Christ alone, you have the privilege to reply, what of it, devil? My sin may be great, but my Savior is greater. My sin may be great, but my Savior is greater. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so I ask, do you know my Jesus? Do you know the one who can stand in your defense and shut up the one who would accuse you? Because if you don't, today, won't you be free? Won't you be free of those accusations? And won't you give your life to Christ? Our song of response this morning is before the throne of God above. Hymn 448. And I, I'm asking this morning that as we stand and we sing the words of this song, and I don't know if you've noticed, I, I have us sing this song quite a bit to end a worship service. Because the words of this song are the words that we should take and apply to our hearts, especially when we feel as if we're being accused. And so stand and let this be our prayer today corporately. As you sing the words, pay attention to the words. Before the throne of God above, let's stand together as we sing.